Last week I spoke on the power of the gospel. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to go online and listen about the power of the gospel. If we understand the product that we have, we're not ashamed to share the gospel. It says in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of my Apple MacBook, right? I'm not ashamed of my iPhone. I'm not ashamed of my product. Well, we're not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. And uh, we've got the best product on the planet. No other product um, resurrects people from the dead. I can't find one. They're trying to figure out how to take cells and, you know, scientists are trying to work out how to prolong life, but nobody's raising people from the dead. But our God is alive, he's living, and he's raising people from the dead. That's a pretty good product. Does anybody want that product? He promises to raise you from the dead. Just like Jesus died and was, and was dead for three days and he rose from the dead, we too are offered that same promise and that same power, right? Does anybody want that product? You'd be super, you'd be super stupid to refuse that product, wouldn't you? You know, Macs are good, iPhones are good, Nike's good, Adidas, Lacoste, whatever product, brand, but Jesus is better than any of them. He's the name above all those names, right? Apple, Mac, whatever, Dal, sorry, you've, you, I know someone works for Dal in here, but I'm sorry, they're great products, but they're not as good as Jesus. They can't save you. They might give you some, you know, help with, the, with your job, and that's great, but they will not save you. So we've got the best product on the planet, and we shouldn't be ashamed of it. But sometimes we do get ashamed of it because of the world, and we're scared of being rejected and what people think about us. But I want to encourage you, have a confidence in your product. Have a confidence in Jesus and in the words of Jesus. So that's kind of what I spoke on last week, the power of the gospel. And I talked about the different things the power does and what God is. God has placed power in order to restore us and redeem us and to cause us to be sons and daughters and to give us the resurrection. This is the power of the gospel that empowers us to be who we're called to be. It's a pretty good message, right? It's not just a hearsay. It's not just a a message 2,000 years ago. It's a message that has a reality to it. We're singing the songs, but it becomes a reality. Okay, and I, and I feel, I'm going to say this this morning prophetically, I felt God say to me, I want to, he, I want to heal somebody's ear this morning. Okay, so I'm like, who's got a bad ear and ear? I've got a bad foot, and I'm thinking, I don't even feel qualified to talk about this this morning with a bad foot. But God wants to he, heal, I can't even say it, <laughs> heal somebody's ear, okay? Now, as, I, as he said that, I felt him say, I want to open somebody's spiritual ear this morning. Okay, so somebody is asking about God in this room and you need God to open your ear to hear him. Okay, so if that's you, I want you to talk to God for a second now and say, okay, God, open my spiritual ear that I can hear you. I want to know you. Is that okay? And maybe that's you in here this morning. You come in, you kind of have some information about God, but you've not experienced the power of God yet in your life. And God says, I want to open your ear so that you can hear the truth and you can base your life on that foundation of my word, not on hearsay or your experiences or your past or your emotions, but on the truth of God. And when you know the truth of God, it sets you free because you'll discover who you are. You'll have a confidence in God. You'll have a confidence in yourself. You won't be ashamed of the gospel. You'll become bold as a lion because you're not scared about what people think. If they reject you, it doesn't matter because you're accepted anyway. This is the gospel, and God needs to open your spiritual ear so you can hear the truth of who you are. Okay, so we're going to move on this morning to positioning yourself for mission. I don't feel qualified to position myself. I feel like I've been positioned this morning because I've got a bad toe. So I'm like, you're going to sit in a chair, 
and be positioned this morning. And I want to encourage you, if you position yourself for mission, God will use you. If you're prepared to be positioned, God has got power for the gospel that's available to be used in and through you as a vessel. But we must be, we must be willing to position ourselves for mission. So the gospel has power, but are we willing to position ourselves for mission? So I want to talk about positioning yourself for mission this morning. I'm going to read a scripture from Matthew 9, verse 35 to 38. Well-known scripture that Jesus speaks to his disciples. I think he's trying to lift the limitations off their minds because they're seeing, they have a small mindset. And Jesus wants to open and broaden their minds to see the power of the gospel, but also the power of the, the, the need in this world for the gospel. And he says this, he says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Read that again. The harvest is plentiful. You know, he's he's obviously standing in a place where you can see a harvest. Look at the field. Let me speak to your mind. Let me open up your mind to see that the harvest is plentiful. You imagine him just looking across at a huge harvest, a massive field and saying, there's a big harvest out there. I don't want you to think that who's, who's going to listen to my message? Who's going to listen to me, my teachings? Who's going to take it on board? Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. So there's not an, there's not an issue with the harvest. There's not a, an issue with people having a desire for the gospel. People are hungry for the gospel. They might not know it yet, but they're hungry. If you look around, they're filling their hunger with other things which aren't working, and they're wondering why it's not working. They're wondering why they're not satisfied. They're wondering why they're not content. They're wondering why they've got problems and issues internally. It's because they don't realize that they have a hunger. And it's our job when we hear this hunger to direct them to where they can be satisfied because of their hunger. And sometimes we look at the problems and we think, oh, there's too many problems. No, we should look at the problems that this is a harvest. Like Jesus says, look at it, it's plentiful. Look at it. Open your ears to see that there's a harvest out there. And some will hear and some won't hear. But that's not your problem. Your problem is to direct them to the Lord of the harvest who's willing to satisfy their spiritual need, their spiritual hunger that they're looking for. Are you still with me this morning? I'm trying to lift your mindset. Sometimes I've thought this myself thinking, oh, nobody wants to listen to the good news. Nobody's listening. There's not a harvest. But Jesus says... This is not my word. This is Jesus' word. The harvest is, what is it? Plentiful. So there's a big harvest out there for us to go into. The problem isn't with the harvest. The problem is with the workers. It's with me and you who are maybe a little bit timid or scared and don't know how to do it because we're, are, we really, are, we, are, we, are we really confident in our product? Do you see what I'm saying? But this week, hopefully, I've encouraged you in your product last week, but I want to encourage you to position yourself for mission. And we've all got a mission field. I'll carry on reading. It says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers 
into his harvest field. So today, hopefully, you'll go from here thinking with a mindset, there's a big harvest and I am sent into it. That's the mindset we should have. That's what Jesus is asking us to do, to be sent into a harvest. And you say, well, where's my harvest? Where's my field? You've all got a field. You've all got somewhere where you are. Where you are is your field. Where you are is your mission field. Your family is your mission field. That's where you should be. That's where you are. Sometimes we think we've got to go a thousand miles to go on a missionary trip. Yes, we can do that and it's good for us. But your first port of call, your field, is your family. Your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your great-grandma, your uncle, your auntie is your first port of call of a mission field. You look at Jesus when he comes across people and he heals people. He sends them back to their families. He sends them, go back, be yourself, go and be a witness in this place. He sends them back to where they've come from, to their village, their community. Your other place that you can be as you'll feel is your job. Wow, what a great place to be in a field that's plentiful of harvests. Or do you look at your job and think, I've got to go work. Or do you have the first priority on your mind that I'm not at work, but I'm in a harvest field. Because if you have a harvest field mentality, you'll look at your job very differently. You'll look at it, and it's not just a job, it's a tool in order that can reflect the glory of God. That I can shine in this place. And I'm not saying it's easy. Something like, oh, no, no. Look, it's a journey. But if the power of the gospel is changing you and transforming you, something will be ch- begin to change in and through you. If it's not, then you need to go to the power, the, the king, the lord of the harvest, and say, will you change me so that I can bring glory to God? bring glory to you forgive me for not forgive me for not putting you first and putting me first and my needs and what I want what about you Jesus in this workplace wow I'm in a harvest field now are you still with me this morning so you've got your family you've got your workplace you've got your neighbors you've got your street you've got your dog whatever right those things that you come into contact with is your harvest field and it is plentiful and there is is a hunger The problem lies with us as workers to be equipped with the gospel and to be ready to share the gospel. So, are you still with me this morning? There's not a problem with hunger. I've I've been to Africa quite a few times. There's people in here are probably from Africa. And people say this to me. Oh, there's a real hunger in Africa, not like in the UK. I kind of agree with it, but I don't. There's a spiritual hunger in every person. The difference with people in the UK, they're not relying on calling out to God for some of their provision because they're already provided for with their everyday needs so they don't need God. They've got a house, they've got a job, they don't need to cry out to him. But there is a hunger in them. It's just that they're filling their hunger, as I said before, with things that are not satisfying. The same hunger is there. It's just that they don't call on God because their daily needs are met. They still have a spiritual hunger that's missing and you know it. It's there, and you can, ha- you can be the one that directs them to their needs, their spiritual needs. So what do we do? How do we position ourselves with this mindset that the harvest is big, and we have the power of the gospel, and we can go and have a confidence in God? The first thing we have to do, I've kind of touched on it, is be involved in witnessing. <clears throat> be involved in witnessing. 
it's a funny word, witnessing. I, I think it's a church word, really, that's often used. Because when you use it in the, word, in the world, a witness is somebody who gives evidence to something that's happened. So if somebody's you know, committed a crime, there's a witness. The witness comes into court, and they stand in the court, and they get the evidence of what has been seen. That's a witness. So when we say in church you're going to be a witness, then what are we a witnessing to? What are you, what are you called to be a witness to? You see, in Jesus' time... They were witnesses to Jesus' teachings, Jesus' death. He's still with me this morning. Jesus' death, they witnessed it. Three days later, he came back to life. They witnessed it, fact. They then recorded it down as an account in here as witnesses. Now, me and you weren't there because that happened over 2,000 years ago. So you're not a witness to the, the account that happened, but you've been given evidence put before you as in a court, and it's your job to make judgment on this evidence today, what you hear about. So do you believe in Jesus today? Do you believe that he's the son of God? Do you believe that he died for you? Do you believe that he was resurrected? Do you believe that it says in the scriptures he ascended again as in seated in heaven? Do you believe that he's a name above all names? Do you believe that he promises power for you to witness? This is the evidence that's put here before you and you have a choice this morning whether you sit in this courtroom, believe what I say, believe what was written down as evidence to the account what happened. You're all witnesses now. Sorry, I've made you a witness today. If you weren't before that, you're now a witness to the evidence that's what's happened. And you have a choice whether you believe the evidence or not. Are you still with me this morning? You understand what I'm saying? You can't, if you go from here now and you decide I don't believe in Jesus, you've still been a witness to secondhand what has been shared from over 2,000 years ago. God made sure it was recorded down and was made sure that you would get the evidence that you would sit in a room like this today and have the evidence before you that Jesus loves you and died for you and he gave his life for you. He was crucified on a cross for your sins and my sins and, and the power of God is made available for you so you can be resurrected and can be at peace with God and be in heaven with God for the rest of eternity. That's what's promised for you today. You're a witness to this and you believe it or not. Are you with me? So you go from here as a witness, not firsthand, but secondhand of the accounts that happened 2,000 years ago. That's your witness. So you, when you come across people, you now have some evidence. And as you read the scriptures, as you come to church and you learn more about what God is, who God is and what he's promised, then you, you personally have evidence to give account of what actually happened 2,000 years ago and why it happened. And that's, that's for you to take from here and to share with people at the right time. <laughs> Don't throw it down their throats. The second thing you can witness to is your own personal experience of your encounter with God yourself. Which is subjective, but it's always based on the truth of God. So, have we got some good news have you experienced God for yourself? Is God good? Have you tasted the goodness of God? Mmm, I'm getting 50-50, okay? Maybe you tasted the goodness of God years ago, but you've also tasted some bad things in life that have kind of balanced out the good. It was good, but I've actually experienced some bad and actually life's thrown some bad things at me. We can all be there. But have you tasted the goodness of God? 
Because if you have tasted the goodness of God, you have something to share. You don't need the scripture to share about the goodness of God. You can share the truth of God through scripture, but your own personal experience is based on you accepting the truth than experiencing God for yourself. You experience God through the word, the truth. You experience him by his spirit. And the Holy Spirit makes God alive in you and gives you a confidence in God and a confidence in yourself of who you are in God, made in the image of God. But you've all tasted something. You must have done because you're in this room. You wouldn't be here if you haven't tasted something or you've witnessed something. You might not have chosen Jesus yet in this room, but you've heard something and you're now a witness to it. And you'll decide what you do with it as you go from this room. You've all witnessed this morning, but you've also tasted something. And I want to encourage you as a witness, you will all have opportunity to share the goodness of God. Romans 10, 14 to 17 says this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard so unless we tell somebody about it people won't know about God I know this is basic but sometimes we forget we think oh God will do it no he won't and then we'll go on it says and how can they hear without somebody preaching to them so people need to be told about Jesus people need to be preached the word of God about Jesus and respond to it then it says this and how can anyone preach unless they are sent how can somebody communicate the gospel if we don't send them from here with the gospel as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news look at your feet this morning and say my feet are beautiful (laughs) not many people we don't often like feet do we there's a whole story behind these feet and where these feet, people would be coming from war and bringing good news. There's a whole context of that good news, where that's coming from, from, the, from armies fighting and somebody coming back and bringing good news about the army. But it says, but all not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. People will only know about Jesus and God if, unless we tell them. If we don't tell them, how will they hear? They won't. You know, I loved Sam's story the other week. If you weren't here, he told a story about sharing with these rugby players. If he doesn't tell them, then how will they know? And it doesn't mean they'll receive, but unless he tells them either what God has done in their life, the goodness of God, or if he tells them what God has done 2,000 years ago and what they've believed in, they will never, ever know. That's quite a scary, don't you think that's a scary thing? That unless I tell them, somebody might miss out on eternity with God. I, I I take that quite seriously. That if I've got opportunity, then I must share this emergency You know, if there was an emergency here today, you'd know about it and react. If there was a line outside that door, you'd want to know about it, wouldn't you? If if there was a line outside and one of the, you know, welcome team came to me and said, I just need to let you know, Pastor, there's a lion that's escaped from the zoo and it's outside. You'd behave very differently when you went today than you would, right, if there wasn't a lion, wouldn't you? 
Right, well, listen, there's a lion, there's a lion let loose in this world. And, and you need to wake up that there's a lion let loose in this world who's coming here to steal, kill, and destroy and rob people from eternity from God. So it's our job to be aware of the lion and tell people who are being deceived by the lion that there's a good news. There's good news through faith in Jesus Christ who came to destroy the schemes of the enemy. And we have to wake up to it, church, and be alert and ready to share the gospel at any time. Sarah dreads going on holiday with me. She loves it, but she dreads it because she knows what's coming. Whoever I'm sitting next to is going to hear the gospel. At some point, they're going to hear the gospel. My, um, this person next to me going to hell is more important than me losing a little bit of you know, shame or embarrassment and fear of rejection because I may, may, may never see them again. This might be their one opportunity to hear the gospel and save them from hell. Are you aware that there's a lion roaming around? Or do you just go out, life's all okay and it's all fine and everybody, as long as I'm okay, it doesn't matter if everybody, everybody gets eaten by the lion. It won't affect me, I'm okay. That's pure selfishness, guys. Jesus was eaten by the lion. Jesus was taken on the cross, so all of the sin of the world. He took on the devil and defeated the devil so that me and you don't have to defeat him. We just need to tell people about him so that the devil over their life can be defeated. Sorry, I'm up for this this morning. Let's read another scripture. 1 Peter 3, 15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. You know, it's not always easy to do that. My flesh is weak some some days. I get it wrong some days. We do. But in your heart, reverence Christ as Lord. And then he says this. So imagine yourself at work, putting Jesus first, trying your best to do it. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this. This is what I love about this, how he's communicating. Do this with gentleness and respect. So if you're going to communicate the gospel with someone, do it with gentleness and respect. Appreciate where they're at. Don't force it because they'll pick up that that's a wrong fruit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And if we're going to communicate the gospel, we've got to be gentle with people. We can't force them. God doesn't force people. He empowers people. So how do we communicate it? With gentleness and respect. I respect your opinion. I respect where you're coming from. You know, I'm not trying to persuade you or control you or rob you of your thoughts. I respect you of your thoughts. But this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. Does that make sense? With gentleness. I think you also need wisdom and discernment to know when the right time is. But don't use that as an excuse not to do it. We should always, it says, be prepared to give an account to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that we have. How do people know that we have a hope? Because when we go through difficult times, we have a steadfast rock that keeps us steadfast. So that when everybody else is freaking out in this world, you have a peace that surpasses your own understanding that is only found in God and by His Spirit that makes you steadfast through things that don't, where you should not be steadfast. So that people can say, wow, why did you react like that? 
Remember, your mission field is your workplace, your family, and you have opportunity to demonstrate the love of God and the peace of God. So people will say to you, how come you didn't freak out? How come you forgave that person? How come you didn't hold bitterness? How, they, they, you might, they might not say that to you openly, but they'll be thinking it inside and watching you. Watching and giving account of what you actually say you believe. Are you, do you actually believe in this, the teachings of Jesus and Christ, or actually are they just words? And people will watch them, and at the right time they'll ask you something, and you should always be ready to give the reason for the hope. Another scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. We, that's me and you, this isn't just the preacher. This isn't just a prophet or an evangelist or a, a, with a certain gift. This is us as individuals. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We're Christ's ambassadors. What does that mean? It means we're sent on behalf of somebody else. We're sent on behalf of the king to represent the king wherever we go. With his mission, with his values, with his love, with his principles, we're sent wherever we go as an ambassador. I'm sent with a mission on behalf of the king. We therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God, and this is quite scary, this is, as though God, God help me, as though God were making his appeal through us. I mean, come on, look around. Look at the person next to you. You'd almost think, what hope have we got this morning that God's going to make an appeal through me? How's this going to work? But God uses you and me as broken vessels with bad feet, bad hairdos, right? Whatever we are, brokenness as we are, God uses you and demonstrate the power of the gospel to share in and through you. He's making his appeal through you. You're a witness. He's making his appeal through you. This isn't me. This is God. If you've chosen Jesus as your personal savior, you are now a witness to the gospel. You're a witness to the good news. And you're now sent from this place as an ambassador by the king. The king says, this is my son. This is my daughter. I am sending you into the workplace. You're now an ambassador. You're now appealing on behalf of the king as a representative. We implore on you, Christ, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, don't hate people. You've been made right with God. Forgive people like God has forgiven you. There's a story of a German soldier. His name's Jürgen. Jürgen Moltmann. It's a great name. And he was a, he was a prisoner during the war. And he got imprisoned in the UK, up in Scotland actually. He was a prisoner of war. And he was there for quite a few years. And just before he got released at the end of the war, the prison guards came into their rooms, each one of them, and they put pictures on the walls of the prisoners of war, okay, in Germany. So I don't know if you've ever seen the pictures, you know, Auschwitz and various uh, uh, prisoners of war camps. They were just bones with skin on. That's the best description when you look at those images. They were literally skin and bones. Have you seen the images? If you haven't, go online somewhere and look at the images. And they put posters up around the prison of, you know, the consequences of their choices. And uh, Jürgen looked at them and he really struggled with these images. And he realized that his choices had affected these prisoners over there. 
because of the time he was fighting, he played his little part in the mission trip, the mission idea, the ideology of his leaders in his nation. He played his part, small as it was, as a soldier, he'd made this happen. And his conscience was really struck with it for many, many years. And somebody brought to him a Bible. It was a witness. Gave him a Bible and shared the story of Jesus and the forgiveness of God. And he kind of heard the story, but it didn't really impact him. And he decided, you know, I hear what you're saying, and, but I'm just going to go back home. And then he was shipped back home. And during his time back home, he was invited by a Christian witness again. So someone he shared the gospel with him, gave him, a, gave him a Bible, told him about God, but he didn't, didn't want it then. And then somebody invited him to a kind of conference, Christian event, years later. He still struggled with this guilt and the shame of playing his part, you know, in, in what he'd done to these prisons of war. And he went to this event and he sat at the back and there was people that came up the front and started to witness, give testimony, story about what had gone in their, on in their lives. And they were all prisoners of war. Prisoners of war from Holland that had been, you know, in, in, in the camps and had, you know, almost many of them had seen friends die and they got on the stage and they started to tell the story of the forgiveness of God and the love of God. And they were witnesses to God's grace and God's love. And as Jürgen sat at the back, he listened to the story and he realized on that day what he'd heard years before about the gospel and the forgiveness of God, he was seen before his very eyes. He saw the testimony, he saw the evidence of the gospel working through these people. And he said not one of them seemed bitter or angry or resentful. They had this forgiveness and this love and this grace that he'd never seen before. And he says on that day, the love of God swept over him and washed him and cleansed him. He broke down and he received the forgiveness of God on that day. Why do I tell you that? Because that's a testimony. One person was prepared to share about Jesus. One person was prepared to receive the gospel and impact them and change their life and forgive people like Christ had forgiven them. And the two were working together as a witness and the power of God was being demonstrated and it impacted Jürgen, who later became a pastor and one of the greatest theologians of the 21st century. 20, 20th century. Okay, right. <laughs> Does that make sense? I want to encourage you, you have a mission field, but you also have a witness. You have the opportunity to share people, share to people about the word of God like a seed. They may not respond in the way you think. It might not happen in the timing you want, but you still have the opportunity to share Jesus with them. You also have the opportunity daily to witness your life before them. Is this challenging or is it okay? Are you still with me? Because otherwise, how else are people going to know if we don't tell them the message and be the message? There's no other way. You are the body of Christ. Jesus isn't coming back to, to be what, you, what you're called to be. He says, go and make disciples. It's mine and your job. So, should we move on? I'm running out of time. So, be involved in witnessing. The second point is this. Be involved as we gather. I know this sounds a bit, we're to be sent. Yeah, but we're also called to gather. We're also called to come together. How would Jesus have sent them if he didn't first gather them? He couldn't. He had to form a team of guys and encourage them, give them the teachings, tell them how to now live their lives, not like they used to live, but live this way as witnesses. Then he sent them. There's power in coming together and gathering. 
the more we gather, the more powerful the gospel is. Okay? If we say we believe in Jesus and then we don't come together, what does that demonstrate? It doesn't demonstrate that actually we believe what Jesus said. The Bible says, um, you know, where two or three are gathered in my name, then I'm there. So you can't gather on your own, right? Jesus is saying you need to understand the importance of gathering, okay? There's power in gathering together because it basically demonstrates the gospel. The more, if you had 5,000 people in this room, right, people would start looking more than if you had two people in the room, would they not? If we had 300 people or 500 or six or 1,000 people, people would start to ask and look, what's going on over there? When Jesus started to preach the message, he probably only had a few. But as his signs and wonders followed, more people gathered, more people gathered, more people gathered, and the gospel was coming more and more powerful. Okay? So don't think, that oh, I'm just turning up on Sunday. No, you're not. You're gathering to demonstrate the gospel. When we sing songs, we're affirming the gospel. When we're coming to encourage one another, like Jesus tells us to, we're coming together to build one another up, we're affirming the gospel. It's not just about being sent, it's about gathering together. And you look in Acts, it says they met together. They broke bread to remind themselves of what had been witnessed, to remind themselves of what Christ had done. I'm reminding myself of Jesus and what he's done. Let me not forget, guys. Let me not just go off on my own track. I must remember why we meet together. We meet together because of Jesus. Jesus first, Jesus last, Jesus in the middle. It's all about Jesus. And we can very easily get led off on our own thoughts, our own emotions, because we're not under the word of God, the teaching of God, the direction of pastors and, and leaders, because we think we know right, and we get it wrong on our own. But he says, don't stop meeting together. Hebrews says, Hebrews 12, verse 28, is that right? Is that right? 24 to 25, there you go. And let us consider how we may spur each other on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So that tells me that naturally speaking, we generally veer off the word of God. We, we, we know the way to go, but we naturally, our flesh veers off this way. The word of God says, come on, get back in line and meet together and encourage one another. Are you still with that this morning? So we're to witness, but we're to gather together to affirm our faith and to encourage one another, to send each other out. And the third point is this. Involve yourself in discipleship making. Involve yourself in discipleship making. Matthew 28, 19 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. This is the important thing about discipleship. We need to be taught. We need to be reconditioned. We need to be trained. We need to be built back up in the things of God and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. See, again, the more we are discipled, the more powerful the gospel is. 
because it affirms the word of God in our lives. It, it affirms the authority of God's word in our lives because we're applying the principles of God, the values of God. We're becoming more like God internally and externally because we're becoming disciplined in the things of God. This doesn't make us right with God. Faith makes us right with God. Faith in Jesus and we receive the grace of God that we do not earn. Otherwise it becomes religion. But because of that love, and I'm going to touch on that in a minute. Because of that love, that first love, we want to become a follower. We want to become a disciple. We want to learn about Jesus. We want to know what his teachings are because we've learned that he loves us and puts us first. I want to know how I get out of debt. I want to know how I break addiction. I want to know how I find freedom in Christ. I want to know because Jesus gave his life for me. And the more we become disciples, the more powerful the gospel is because you are witnessing to it in your life. And people can look at you and you can share how you got out of your addiction. You have testimony. You have the power of the gospel that by applying the principles of God, you now have a story that can lead others out of their darkness. But unless we become disciples, we will just stay like babies and keep giving words, but no substance. We just give milk, but no meat. Well, how do I get out of this? Well, come, come with me, let me tell you. Come to church, let me tell you. This is the message I can share with you. This is the good news, you need to receive Jesus first. This is the power of being disciples. Jesus said, how will they know, how will they know that you are my disciples? By the love that you have for one another. Not that the pastor has for you. It's not my job to love you all. It's your job to love one another. Does that make sense? Because if it's my job just to love you, okay, I'm going to be limited on who I can love in this place. Even Jesus was. He loved 12, intimately a few, you know, closer they say, you know, John and Peter and so forth. But he had a group of people who he could get intimate with. Then he sent them all to get intimate with others again. That's your job. So when you come to church on a Sunday, you're here to be loved, but you're here to look out for somebody else to love and to build up in the body of Christ. This will grow as church. If we look to love one another, it doesn't become clicky then. It doesn't become about me, self-centered. It becomes about my friend and my brother who I'm willing to spur on and encourage in good deeds. I'm looking out for one another. It's not just the pastor's job. Are you still my friend this morning? This is how the church gets built up when we look out for one another, encourage one another, build each other up. We, become, we, we grow up in our faith. It's not just about me. I'm not just a consumer who comes to get, but actually I've got and now I want to give. That's the idea. That's the journey. So I know it's a challenge, but that's what Jesus wants to do with us. He wants to love us. He wants to build us. He wants us to grow and he wants us to make disciples. So involved in witnessing. Start where you're at. You've got some good news. Be willing to share it. Be involved as we gather. Don't minimize the power of coming together and affirming the gospel as we gather. Small groups as well, not just on a Sunday. The teams that you're on, you know, be encouraged as you gather together and affirm what you're doing. And then lastly, involve yourself in discipleship making. You know, I was really encouraged this last week. I looked at numbers of people that are in small groups. There's 232 people here last Sunday. That involves children, okay? There's 141 of those that have been delegated a small group. That's a pretty good number, church. 
It really is. You've got 232 people, 141 have been delegated a small group. So we've made sure that you've got a small group network to go to and be a part of, okay, to gather with, be discipled with. Now, it doesn't mean they all attend each week, but there's 141. You add the kids onto that, which is about 55 kids, then you're up to 200 people that are pretty much involved in some form of group. That's good standards. I want to congratulate you on what you're doing. You know, that's a healthy sign as a church that you're committed not only to God, but you're committed to one another in on this journey. Now I'm going to read, finish with, how are we doing? I'm going to finish with a quote from Jürgen. I like Jürgen, right? Probably not saying it right, but, you know, I'll speak to him when I get to heaven and we'll translate it into English. That was supposed to be funny, but it's not, is it? Okay. Some people, you're not forgiven the Germans for penalty shootouts or something? What's going on this morning? Okay. Um, this is Jürgen. And I really like what he says here because he really helps me. Because I can get off the mark sometimes about the grace of God. And he puts this. But the ultimate reason for our hope is not to be found at all in what we want. Challenges me. I thought it was about what I wanted. But the ultimate reason for our hope is not to be found at all in what we want, what we wish for, and what we wait for. The ultimate reason is that we are wanted. Woo! Wow. What do you want this morning? Whatever you want, you need to know that you're already wanted. You're not an outcast. You're not, not wanted in this world. You are wanted. The ultimate reason is that we are wanted and wished for and waited for. What is it that awaits us? Does anything await us at all or are we alone? Whenever we base our hope on trust in the divine mystery, we feel deep down in our hearts there is someone who is waiting for us, who is hoping for us, who believes in you. We are waited for as the prodigal, as she read this morning, as the prodigal son in the parable is waited for by his father. We are accepted, we are received as a mother takes her children into her arms and comforts them. God is our last hope because we are God's first love. You're God's first love. Jesus came for you because he loves you. You, you are wanted, you are wished for, you are waited for. The father was waiting years and years and years for the right day to send his, send his beloved son to be sacrificed on the cross. You know, his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins so that your hunger, your desire, your need, your spiritual emptiness could be fulfilled by the God of heaven. So he could give you truth that you are loved and accepted, that you are wanted. I want you. I desire you. I love you. And I've proved it to you and given you the evidence for you to believe. God is our last hope because we are God's first love. You are God's first love. Whatever battle you're going through, whatever challenging thing you're going through, maybe the job or the things that are going on, it's there to, to promote you into a greater glory. 
so that you can say, yes, you rejected me. I didn't get the job. Yes, you were nasty to me, but there's something of greater glory inside of me that says I'm wanted, I'm waited for, I'm wished for because I'm God's first love. It's the greatest need that we have inside of us to be loved. We're made in the image of God. And God's made a way through his son, Jesus, that we can find fulfillment in him. And then we can go into this world and be a fulfiller of his promises and his mission. And he's the one who sent his son. I'm just a deliverer today of a message. Come on, let's stand. We're going to praise God. And I give opportunity this morning to respond to the gospel. Maybe something's spoken to you this morning. Maybe you have a hunger inside of you. Maybe you think that no one loves you. Nobody's waiting for you. Nobody wants you. Nobody's sitting and wishing over you, desiring you. But I'm here to tell you the truth this morning. And it's your choice to decide on this evidence that I give you. I've experienced it myself. I've lived being wanted, being wished for, and being lost, and not getting any of that. But when I gave my life to Christ, the truth came into my heart. He filled me with his spirit, and I tasted the goodness of God. That he loves me, he accepts me, he forgives me of my past, and he makes me brand new. And you can have that same today. But you've heard the evidence. It's your choice. I'm going to pray a prayer. You can pray this prayer in your heart with me. And I want you to talk to your Father in heaven. Father, forgive me of my past. I hear this message of you this morning wanting me. Today I choose you. I thank you for sending Jesus and making a way. I choose to believe in you this morning. And accept you in my heart. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, please don't go from here not telling anyone. Make it public now. Become a witness. I've chosen Jesus in my life. In the rest of you, I want to encourage you to position yourself for mission. And when you feel that you're not good enough, it's okay. God is good enough. And God will empower you and give you what you need to be a witness in your field, in your workplace, in your family. And let's believe for people to come to faith. Amen? As you share the gospel, let's keep believing in the gospel. It's the most powerful weapon in this world to conquer sin and death. Jesus has done it all. Let's keep pointing people towards God, giving glory to him. Amen?